We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K and K. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Value Add with K&K. Today, we have our good friend, Sean Puckett, on. Um, Sean isn't just a friend. Uh, well, he is a friend, but um, he is a banker at Mechanics Bank. So we wanted to bring him in today to talk a little bit about how he can help people in their businesses and a little bit more about what Mechanics does um, in general. And what exactly is a business banker and why, if you have a business and you don't have one, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm just tell, I'm just being honest. Like I think if he, you get some value out of this and you're not getting this out of your banker, you might go what you're you could be possibly losing out on opportunities and a lot of different things. You could For be sure, saving think, money. Yeah. Having a banker is super important. Um, and we'll get more into that. But we were, Kenny and I were just talking about like when you go to a big bank and you get a banker, but then it's like that person's changing every three and four months and how frustrating that could be because the process of moving your banking over is is kind of a pain so you you want to get it right hopefully the first time but if not you really want to make sure that you're a good fit with whatever bank that you're with so um sean does an awesome job and um we really wanted to highlight him today to see uh you know how he could potentially help you guys in your business yeah and learn more about um you know what you get out of a business banker or somebody yeah. like him and how he can help scale your business or save money and you know what he does so sean thanks for coming on brother Thanks for having me, guys. And before we kick this off, I just want to say how impressed I am with everything you guys are putting out into the world. Cool. I was thinking about you guys earlier today, and I was thinking when I was a kid, it was always like, hey, be the change you want to see in the world. And you guys are taking on that big task with your everything you're doing marketing-wise and podcast. And so cool. thanks for Appreciate making it. San Diego a better place. Thank cool. You. Thanks, for, uh, thanks for giving us a shout-out. Yeah. So just tell us a little about your background, your career. I don't even know your whole career. Um, I know you surf. <laughs> I know a surfing wife, banker. And I know your wife and kids, yes. yeah, which is cool. <laughs> you got a surfing banker. Hello. Yes. Um, and then just kind of how you like landed in being like a banker, business banker. Always funny. We're like banker, banker. Yeah, cool. Thanks for giving me that, that opportunity to kind of tell my story. Um, and banker is kind of a general term, right? There's lots of yeah. bankers that we all know and, and we all kind of do different things. So We're you kind of have to find that niche banker yeah. that suits whatever it is that you need from a bank. But yeah, my story is kind of unique. I was born in Indiana. Uh, my family's multi-generational from Indiana and my dad always wanted to be attorney, an attorney and he had me really young and uh, <laughs> in uh, college. And so when he got done with college, he went to the Marine Corps to try to qualify for their law program, which he was successful in doing. Um, but so long story short, right when he got done with law school, we moved out here to California. So I moved to Camp Pendleton when I was 10 years old. Holy and it was really son. funny because in my little neighborhood that I lived in in elementary school, you know, my parents said, we're moving to California. And at the time I was watching chips. So I thought <laughs> yeah. palm yeah. trees, yeah. you know, ocean, girls on roller skates. I went around the neighborhood. I told everybody I'm moving to California. You guys see you later. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So anyway, I landed out here when I was 10. I got to stay here for five years, which was amazing. And uh, then one of the most impactful things that happened in my life is I moved to a small island called Okinawa, Japan and, and wow. for high school. I remember that. Yeah, I remember. And a uh, really tiny island, great surf, great people. And I got to see the world through the lens of another culture. And that was super impactful for me as a, as a young guy. Um, I came back here and went to USD. So how long were you there for? I was there for three years. That's a long enough to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. And um, there were only five or six white surfers on the whole island or American surfers. Wow. So, you know, I was hanging out with Japanese guys most of the time. Was surfing pretty friends. mellow there, though? Was it crowded or uncrowded? It wasn't as crowded there as it is now. Yeah. Um, and the Japanese culture is really interesting in that they like to surf kind of the name breaks together as a community and as a group. So if you're adventurous and you want to go find your own surf breaks, there's like tons of like unexplored breaks to name and go surf. That's, so, right. that's what we did a lot. That's cool. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So that was super fun. But anyway, yeah, I landed in San Diego. I went to USD, made a lot of really great friends that I have today. And um, I was actually just with Cameron this morning and he's like, you got to tell everybody about your friends that you went to USD with and, you know, how that's helped you in business. And 
So, yeah, I just I'm really grateful for my time going to USD. It's a great school and less great friendships that I made there and kind of more. That is stuff. a good school. It is a I very good school and it's also really beautiful. Yes, and getting more beautiful by the day yes. as they keep adding on and I love how they keep the architecture consistent. So it's sure. like kind of looks like it always did, yep. but it's yeah. bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's obviously smart for them, the school, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I got off track. I don't know what I'm supposed to be Talking answering. About you. No, just your career, your how, you got, how, you, how you're here, how you landed in, you know, how you're at Mechanics Bank, how you landed here, how long you've been doing it for. Yeah. So I've been, gosh, I've been in the banking industry for, I think, coming up on 18 years. Holy anyway, long sucks. time. Okay. Yeah. But I just kind of lucked into banking. I was in sales and I used to sell into banks. And one huh. of the bank managers that managed all of the small business lenders took me to lunch one day and she goes, gosh, you're such a great speaker when you come to our things. And, you know, you, you could be a great banker and you've got these skills. And I said, what does a banker do? I mean, I thought, what am I going to do? Go count money? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so she told uh, me what the job was and I took a chance and, um, um, you know, and ended up becoming one of the top producers in my group. And um, I was the first person she did that experiment with. And the second person she did that experiment with was my wife, Catherine. Oh, oh, buddy. So Catherine and I ended up in the same group. Out. Yeah, and so we met through banking, and we worked at the same bank. So at the same bank, we worked in a large bank. And um, was that yeah. legal to d- date in the same company? Well, that's a pretty funny story because we uh, <laughs> I mean, we originally worked in different offices in different kind of territories, but um, through a chain of events, we ended up in the same office, and we were both vice presidents, and we had keys to everything, and so that's an opportunity for collusion. And our oh. bank at the time. There point. wasn't anyone in California that had enough seniority to approve us. So they had to get approval from Japan. There, it was a Japanese-owned bank. And um, someone in Japan actually approved that we were allowed to work in the same office. How funny. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were yeah. like, he lived in Okinawa. Like, we'll go ahead and approve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I forget. That is, that is true. I mean, that's a good point. I mean. You, you know, guys... I, and, and now while we're on that point, I want to bring up this thing that, you know, people get really frustrated with banks because they're not doing this for them or not doing that. And the bank's number one job is to protect the money that you put there. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that's at the base level of banking. It's like we're supposed to protect the money. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. You're yeah. right. Kind of I never decisions. really have thought about it from that aspect, actually. Yeah. It's They're like, like, this guy's a pain in the ass, and they didn't do this and that. It's yeah. like, but that's why you're there. That's why you have a job. That's why you're employed. That's why you're like, that's why you need me. If not, it would just be chaos. Right. It would be. Right. So yeah. as frustrating as the banking world can be, there is some order that it brings to the financial world. And especially since 2008, I mean, let's be honest, um, there's been a lot of change in banking, you know, unlike my, your industry, your industry too, not as mine, obviously a lot. Not as drastic. As yours yeah. too, just as far as regulation, what, how you can send emails and do stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, and now just like people stealing wire money and all this. I mean, you know, we wire talk about that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we can get into that, but it's crazy. Cause I don't think people understand like since 2008, there was a lot of, just non-responsibility like people just turning their heads and it, yeah. l- l- like people were not coming in and robbing the banks but ultimately people basically gave out a lot of crappy loans and caused a lot of damage to banks and you might as well rob banks because honestly they lost so much money mm-hmm. and it was really did shuffle the whole industry everything i mean it shuffled it so much it just destroyed real estate and businesses and everything because then you guys are like what do you mean you're shutting down my line? You're like, hey, look, our bank is going through a major change here. We have to we have to look across the board and start doing cuts, and that's what, you know. And now yeah. a lot of people are building back from their trust. Yeah. It's like, hey, I know you had a problem, so you had a credit problem, you had a foreclosure, you had this, and you have to start like – it's a relationship, you know. It's so. funny. Before the recession, doing business loans, um, if somebody had a bankruptcy or they had any kind of like uh, gave back real estate or anything, it was like we just wouldn't work with them. Yeah. But after the recession, that was so normal that now, you know, I see all kinds of cases where, you know, banks are willing to do business loans where 15 years ago there would be no way. But now it's like because everybody went through the recession together and they know it was what it was. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, to that point, I I don't know, like, for example, residential lending – it was like, well, you can't have a foreclosure, but you can have a short sale. Or mm-hmm. like they had these rules on like a short sale is better than a foreclosure. So like if you've had it within three years, we'll give you. Yeah. But if it was a foreclosure, you still have to wait the seven. Or like they have all these kind of rules. But you're right. They had to kind of ease up on it because so many people had them 
that it was just like you have to make these kinds of exceptions and business owners aren't excluded from that, right? Right. So. Right. Yeah. So what is your – what do you specialize in at your bank? Before I get to that, I just want to give like a little bit of background of what I grew up in. I grew up yes. in lending money to businesses of all sizes as they were scaling. So that might okay. be a line of credit that they needed so that they could cover their accounts receivable gap. Okay. Right? They go do a service for somebody yep. and it creates money that that company owes them. Okay. Yeah. Right? And they just keep doing that over and over again. That becomes a very large number. Mm-hmm. And then they've got to pay payroll. You know, they've got yep. to do a lot of things. And as that gap gets bigger, that line of credit becomes critical to the growth of the business. Yes. So it's a limiting factor for the growth. So I grew up in banking doing that. I worked for a large bank. I did over 350 loans in six years. I looked at over 1,000 financial statements, business financial statements, personal, and kind of made the decisions of which ones we were going to do and how that all works. So I got a kind of a crash course in all the industries. And then I went to a smaller community bank where I could be a little bit more flexible and freestyle on the mm-hmm. loans that I did. And then I learned how to take responsibility for the loan decisions, meaning like if the loan went bad, it was my fault. <laughs> yeah. Know, like I was in trouble. Yeah. Not in trouble, but I would have to manage the bank out of it okay. and, and find the solution. And so my background was very much walking side by side with the business owner, but while also protecting the bank. Um, what I do now with Mechanics Bank is the same thing, but I work with a little bit larger companies that have bigger bank balances. And I also specialize in large depositors that are holding on to other people's money. So you could think of them as a fiduciary. Maybe they're holding on to like a property management yes. company. They're holding on to the rent payments before they pay them to the right. owner. Or, a, or an deposits. attorney maybe that's holding on. Yeah. yeah. Or a loan servicing company. Maybe they're collecting mm-hmm. the loan payments and then they're paying it over Escrow to the lender. and all of it. We bank yeah. 100 escrow companies out of the 600 in, in California. That's, wow. that's a, a deep niche that's a that we lot have. Of yeah. Deposits. It's a lot of deposits. Money but yeah. also, that's like a huge share of the market, too. Because, I mean, most yes. people haven't maybe heard, like, Mechanics Bank is not one of the big banks out there that you would see floating around, per se, yeah. that name. And the reason for that is because California Republic Bank was the Southern California brand. And then after the merger, the Mechanics Bank name came in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people had done business with California Republic, but not Mechanics. Got okay. it. But just the quick background on Mechanics, a 110-year-old bank yeah. out of the Bay Area with 30 offices in San Francisco. It's tried and true, $6 okay. billion dollars in assets. It's a pretty okay. good-sized bank. Yeah. But the Southern California brand is really the Ferrari of the bank in terms of how quick we move and how uh, we bank these big okay. depositors. Uh-huh. We send 60,000 wires a month wow. out of our – office here in Southern California. Not a branch office, but but a commercial, like a corporate office. Yeah. And then our personal bankers sit right outside the wire room. So our big wire customers that send thousands a month, their people that are daily operations are sitting right next to the wire room. And if you're in that business, you know how important that is. But anyway, that's a niche that we have. Let me ask you a question. Um, A lot of people might not know this. So I don't know if it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. People were sending money from escrow was sending money to clients or clients were sending money to escrow and that email could potentially get hacked. Right. And they would change the wire information and send it to China or somewhere else. Right. And obviously there's – I wanted to ask you about that because literally on the bottom of our emails and escrows, it became rampant and a lot of people lost a lot of money. A lot of escrows won't even let you email the information. You have to call to get it. Yeah, so it's kind of like crazy. And actually, we know somebody that actually had to eat almost a million dollars. And I want to ask you, what are you guys doing to protect? And how is that kind of going in the industry? Is it kind of simmer down or is it still a problem? And just just for the listeners, um, the escrow company is the disinterested third party that kind of holds on to the money for a real estate transaction or if a business is being bought or sold so that they're – um, when I say disinterested, they're not biased, right? Yeah. They're just holding on to the money and they're just following whatever the contract says. But the risks that they take on as a fiduciary is if the money disappears, they have to come up with it. It's so there's them. a huge risk. Yeah. So in, if you're banking escrow companies, it's a very particular style of banking. So there's only three or four banks in the state that really do a good job on this. So if you own an escrow company and you're not banking with an escrow bank, huge risk. Okay. Just from a security Because of the right? question that you yeah. just asked. Yeah. How quick is the bank going to react and do they know what to do if a wire maybe temporarily gets lost? Because they can well, – you can get them back and there's ways that we know how to do that being an escrow bank. But Wow. I've if, never heard that before. So no. that's interesting. No. Yes. Yes. And so if you um, lose a wire, 
or you, you know, you're you're relying on the bank to keep you safe. The bank has to have processes that keep the wire transfer safe every step of the way. So what we do is we have a cyber secure system that we give our clients. We put it in their office. It's a separate dedicated computer, dedicated internet line. Everything is separate. You can't go on the internet there. You can't do anything except send wires. So we isolate the system so the system can't be hacked. But the problem is still people. Yeah. They get the phone call. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm in New York and my New York office. And um, I forgot I need to change the wire to go to this bank. And so the other one I told you, you know, and they they trick people into changing the wire instructions. So what we do to protect that is obviously the training that we, we talk with our escrow companies like on the daily, like multiple times a day. So we're very close with them. And we do the training and make sure that they're up to speed on kind of best practices. Because it's a, it's a big problem. Yeah. But this is really niche. I mean, this is like, you know, no, I just an wanted area to, that we're in. I and, wanted to ask you about it because I know you bank so many escrow companies and we're in real estate. And a lot of people that listen to this are in real estate. It's like, I mean, I've heard horror stories you have too. So I was just yeah. curious to see on how you guys deal with it because you're banking 100 escrow companies out of 600. That's a huge market share. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, like, what's your ideal customer business, like, you know, clientele? Like, We talked about escrow companies and property management companies, but you're talking about, like, banking some larger businesses. So what are kind of, like, the thresholds or, like, the criteria that you're looking for? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I want to help successful entrepreneurs be more successful. Mm-hmm. My best client is banking in a big box bank. Mm-hmm. And... They've got big deposits there, and they've got a long relationship, and maybe they need loans. Maybe they don't. It's okay either way. I don't just do loans. Yeah. Um, but they feel like, gosh, I wish I had like a professional banker. I have a professional attorney. I have a professional CPA, a professional insurance person. Why don't I have a professional banker working for me? That's what I do. Yeah. So I step into that role, analyze the landscape of their business, and ask them what their vision and mission is. And are they trying to sell? Are they just trying to create a lot of cash flow to buy real estate? What, what do they want to do? And then I just marry all the banking stuff that I know how to do with what they're trying to do. And I marry them with advisors like you guys and just kind of shorten that curve of where they're trying to get to. Because, listen, if you have a successful business and you're growing quickly and you're in a big box bank, Mm -hmm. sometimes you get to feeling like, wow, nobody really knows what I'm trying to accomplish. I agree. And I'm telling them what I'm trying to do, but they're not bringing me the solutions. Mm -hmm. They're just saying, no, I can't do that. So I'm always applying to be – a professional advisor. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've, I, we've seen it so many times with clients um, when they're going to the big banks is that they're going through several different bankers and it's always a new person all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's not that kind of like personal service. And uh, two, when you're banking larger businesses, they want to feel like you know them. <laughs> so like yeah. if they call you that you're like, oh, yeah. hey, how's it going? Like it, instead of talking like you may as well just call the branch you're not a number you're a person and that's and that's the way modern like society is moving like everybody was like millennial this millennial that well the millennials now are a major part of business ownership and um i take that really seriously and and part of the demographic of of younger generations is they want to be unique they want to be known they want to be heard and i feel the same way like i'm gen x but i think i've trend towards that i want to be different and i want to be heard yeah and so you know, working in a bank like I do, I can I can be that for them, and that's what's fun. But I'll tell you a quick story. Um, yeah. So, I have this client that was like in a big box bank, and it's it's an interesting company. It's a service company. They provide a really neat service across the country for certain companies. But the way the company is structured, there's two owners, and then there's a whole bunch of salespeople. So you guys know, being business owners, all of the administrative or daily stuff kind of rolls up. It's not going to go to the salespeople. It rolls up to the owners. Mm-hmm. So these particular owners were taking in 200 to 300 to 400 checks a month in payment. And their little fancy remote deposit scanner that scans it into the bank yep. wasn't working. It kept breaking. So they just started taking them into the office. Now, you picture a CEO opening 300 envelopes a month and taking them down to the bank and waiting in line. Yeah. So he goes, hey, there's got to be a better solution. Do you guys have a lockbox? And the bank goes, no, we don't do lockbox. Well, that person that they asked just didn't understand that – do you guys know what a lockbox is? Yeah. Like, let's say you have yeah. a magazine company and you have 595 coming in from like 10,000 people. Right? Yeah. you got to yeah. have somewhere that's going to land. Yeah. Right. And, and so banks do that in the back office. 
Well, this particular company had really nice bank balances, and they could pay for those services through their balances for free. So they could get this really fancy upscale lockbox service for free. So we brought them in, did that for them, and now you know that's what's what's five hours, ten hours a week worth. And especially if you're the CEO, though, I mean, you, that's the one thing you can't. They get have back. an hourly you rate. Can't get yeah. time. That hourly rate is not using being used efficiently standing in line. Yeah. So that's the frustrating part about my business in that, hey, Sean, what company do you want? What, what's your products? My whole shtick is, listen, I've been doing this a long time, and I see things other people don't see. So just bring me an opportunity. Let me look at the landscape, and I bet you I'll have creative ideas that no one thought of before that we can save money, save time, do whatever. Just yeah. get people to the goal. Are you just faster. lending? Are you just lending banking in California right now, or? Yeah, I focus just in California. Yeah, yeah, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. What do you? Why? What do you? When somebody and I know, like, like you said, I know your customer right now. Your future customer is probably at a big bank, and just because it's there's because there's 50 million locations, and it's just been convenient for that person. Mm-hmm. And then one day they wake up and they walk in there, and something didn't get done or whatever. So they're like, I need to change. What do you think? Somebody that might be listening to this now, it's got a business, they're at a big bank. Um, what do you? What is the typical reason why somebody is coming over and switching to you? Like you know it like this is like what's the what's what do you think it is? All right, for all you hustlers out there, I'm gonna give you some advice that I just I got from somebody about five years ago. They said, if you want to know what your clients want. Ask your existing clients what you've done for them and have them give it to you in their words, okay? So I'm going to read two different questions. um, I like this. And I'm going to give the answer that my client gave, okay? And so this is in the words of an entrepreneur, not necessarily in the words of a banker, right? So this is kind of how it goes. He's on podcast. We can just sit back. He's asking all the questions. (laughs) So what has been the impact on your business as a result of working with Sean Puckett? And so this particular um, client said – He's been able to put jet fuel in our gas tank to grow our business over 100%. By extending us a line of credit to help grow our inventory and our customer base, it's accelerated our growth. The cash management tools also helped us utilize our cash on hand. Okay? So that's like optimizing the business, right? Um, Another client answered that same question, what has the impact been of working with Sean? All positive. Sean is a confidant, a sounding board, and a friend. If I had a board of directors, he would definitely be on it. Sean works outside of the realm of normal expectations. He's constantly working to add value to relationships, even if what he's doing to add value has nothing to do with banking. True. He knows that is that by becoming a trusted person, people want to go to with challenges or opportunities. He is solidifying himself as not only a banker but a high-level advisor. And so that's kind of how I answer that question about what do you do. Like if somebody is your friend and they own a business and you send it to me, I'm just going to give them the, the service. Five-star treatment that you do with everybody. Yeah, and they might not end up being a client. They might go to another bank that I refer them to because I know it's a perfect fit. You know, Sometimes I send clients to Catherine's bank because it's a better fit than yeah. my bank, whatever. But it's just about giving them good advice. But you, but you know because you've been doing this so long. You're like, look, you're saying, look, come to me. I'll sit down with you, have a meeting. I'll be like, look. I'm not the right I'm not the right person for you, but yeah. Joe Blow or Catherine or whatever is, and let me tell you why, and move on. And that's the value you brought to that person. But I sent a referral to you. You took care of the client, and you, they gave value, and you just passed them on. Or you can service them yourself. Right. And then for all the entrepreneurs listening, um, when you come to meet with me or another banker, bring your balance sheet. Bring your profit and loss. Yeah, bring something. And then bring, you, you know, you're going to bring your statements too, right? Yeah, you're going to bring yeah. your story. But bring your balance sheet and your P&L and like let the banker look at the real numbers. And if they're a real lender like me that used to have to underwrite their own loans, like they can tell you within a pretty narrow spectrum of what, what you can accomplish, like financing-wise. Yeah. You know? Does a, if somebody comes to you, they sit down, they bring all that stuff, they're not as strong as they'd like to be or you think, but they have a great story, product, service, business, whatever. Is there compensating factors based off a story or is this just like – Nope, you got to have good financials or I can't help you. Two answers to that question. What's so beautiful about entrepreneurs is if you sit down and, like I said, you bring your financials and you tell me what you're trying to accomplish. If I give them a roadmap of, hey, this isn't perfect yet and you need to tweak this, and I say, you know, you could probably do that in six months and come back to me and then we'll get the deal done, 
they do it in three months. Like entrepreneurs, yeah. Yeah. like just give them a roadmap. <laughs> like don't kill it. They'll sprint there. Yeah. Yeah, but banks where they make the mistake is they're like, no, turn down, not going to do the loan. Right. Like just give lazy, the entre- lazy, lazy. Yeah, that's what it is. Right? Give the entrepreneur a roadmap and they will crush it. And that's I think that's what was the other part of the question? I I had another answer there. Um, I just no. I said, do you think if they're not like if they're not looking financially as like where you want them to be? Yeah. Does but they have a great story product. Oh yes. Their business. Is I that like now. put them over a hump too? You're like, wow. Is this you know? Okay, so. Let's talk about it in the context or framework of a big box bank where there's a kind of a rule for everything, right? Yeah. It's kind of black and white. Like either you fit or you don't. Now move into a community bank platform. Now you've got a banker that has to decide how they're going to spend their time. So sometimes I'll pick a horse that doesn't fit that well, but I know they're a dynamic entrepreneur. I know they're going places. I know they're going to be successful. So I'll bet my time on them and I will advocate for them in the bank in ways that – I might not normally. Okay. So all you entrepreneurs out there, if you treat your advisor like a commodity, that's the result you're going to get. If you treat your advisor like a relationship, then they're going to bet their time on you and maybe go to bat when normally they wouldn't. And so I've got tons of stories of people that I advocated for. And I got a couple stories of almost losing my job advocating so hard. Mm-hmm. But I believed in them. And one of those stories is, is my biggest client. And they weren't big when I was advocating for them, but I just knew. Like you just know when somebody has it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think – this one can be answered in many ways. But what do you think is like a big misconception that the general public that doesn't live like us in the finance and banking world that they have out there that you constantly hear? You're just like, gosh, people just get it so wrong. Or that's two, just- two things is the bank – Banks owe us everything because their job is to lend money to us. But our job, yeah. our job is to keep the money feel safe. That way yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Particularly yeah. after the recession, right? Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. 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 So I, I would say that um, the bank's first job is to keep the money safe, you know, and mm-hmm. that banks operate on really thin margins, right? Yeah. So, uh, and let's go into community banks. Community banks hold people's money and they lend it out. The giant banks that we heard about through the recession they have a lot of fancy ways of making money but regular banks like in the community they don't do all the sophisticated stuff so it's just money and money so it's a thin margin business is my point and so there isn't any tolerance for risk okay if i make 10 million dollars in loans and i lose 1.5 million dollars i just completely erased all of the profit Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like it's no, like totally. you just so can't. That's the lens they're looking at. Yeah, it yeah. That's yeah. the what bank. I don't. I'm more entrepreneurial. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. But but that's, that's the reality. Of that's the reality. But, that's the reality of the industry. The other misconception is that every banker you meet is looking for loans, and so I've always been frustrated with being treated like, oh, I don't need to borrow money, so I don't need to talk to you. Yeah. Well, half of my clients are doing so well, they would never borrow money from a bank, but they do need wire protection. They do need cash management. They do need the lockbox I just talked about. They do need things that you can only get they through. They need to be able to get a hold of you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they need an answer when yeah. they need an answer. Yeah. That's, a, that's literally what a lot of them are probably looking for. Like, I know I can text or call you or email you and it's like, yeah. And I still so appreciate my relationships because they know that that's not my job to answer their everyday call because yeah. they have people that interact with my people at the bank and it's all going good. Yeah. But what they value is that if there's something wrong or their staff is complaining about something, like they know that I'm an escalation point. Like they know they can get me on the phone right away, tell me what's going on, and then I'll dig into it. And that's like the accountability that I think people are starving from, from a bank. Yes. So delivering that accountability is the Mm -hmm. value, I think, for a busy CEO. Yeah. And I think like, for example, even with us, some of the things that we've experienced with big banks is like, it depends on which teller you go to. So some of them would know us and then some of them wouldn't, but it'd be still in San Diego. Like you try to go deposit a check and if it's a big check, they're like, oh, sorry, we're going to have to put a five day hold on that. And you're like, that's never happened to me before. That's really bizarre. Yeah. And it's so then, yeah, yeah, but like... then you're like going through three and four different people to try and get this answer when you could have probably just called you and said, Hey, I think maybe you got like a new person or something. Cause this is kind of odd. And then you would just kind of handled by yeah, quarterback. Well, back There's... to my Ferrari thing. Um, we just do it totally differently. So, um, 
I don't even let my clients come into any branches. We've I, got they've got a personal banker that's sitting on a computer waiting for them to call, text, or email, and they're dedicated to that client, nice. and they just handle whatever it is. And their deposits go through a machine like a remote deposit scanner, and we just don't put them through any of that stuff because that's deposit. retail, right? Yeah. yeah. What you guys are talking about is a retail experience, that's... and so what I want to bring is a commercial banking experience to entrepreneurs that are busy. They okay. don't have time to deal with retail banking, right? Because it's just like one hurdle after another, after right. a no, after a no. Right. You're literally like, you can call taxi and hope he shows up. You can't track him. Or you just go, hit, put the address and hit a button and three minutes, I'm coming and we're going to yeah. take you there. And you don't have to worry about it. Go on, yeah. get on your call and go. You don't, yeah. Because what has Uber done? They've already forecasted everything you want and need and they have it all figured yeah. out and you don't have to think anymore. And they save you time and yeah. that's what we want. Yeah. So that's what you can do is save people a lot of time. Tons of And time. I'm sure headache, but time. Tons. Yeah. So a question, because this became a real issue, I think, in the recession or like people were really worried about their, their money being insured in the banks. Mm-hmm. So... I think there is a little bit of that misconception when you're at a smaller bank. How how can people feel like their money's protected, or like what kind of regulations do banks have so that yeah. people can feel comfortable? Yeah, with their money being so, um, there, the FDIC insurance. You know, that's yeah. kind of been a sales pitch of yeah. the government wanting the banks to pay into the FDIC insurance program, and then they market it as these banks are safe. The real deal business answer to this question yes. is no bank has failed, failed, and people lost money since I think right before the Depression or in the Depression. Yeah, in the Depression. Yeah. Because what happens when a bank fails today is that the government's already all over it because they've been monitoring the ratios and they've watched them going down, and they broker a deal with another bank. They might come to uh, another bank and say, hey, XYZ Bank is going out of business. We're shutting them down. We'll sell it to you, the assets, for this price. And then the bank says – Okay, but we want to adjust this, and they just make a quick deal, and then the assets are sold. And then you're a customer of that bank, and you find out that your bank has now been sold to the other bank. And so it's kind of like the insurance world. Insurance companies do the same okay. thing. They, if, they're get, if they're in trouble, they're kind of forced to sell into another place. So people's money really these days with so much it's regulation, it's safe all the time. Yeah. And then, but, but if you do want to dig deeper, you, know, you can look at the um, – all banks' financial statements are public, and you can get to them through government web- websites. And so you can look at their ratios, and you can look at their assets. Like like my bank's been around 113 years with $6 billion in assets. Yeah. Like, we're not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. So um, – well, I'm glad you kind of cleared that up because I didn't even really know about it. I just remember talking to clients in the recession like – I split my money between all five different banks because, you know, they're only – I know FDIC somebody that literally has like eight different to, banks. I'm like, he's yeah. paranoid. So – Let's talk about leverage, and I'm not talking about debt. I'm talking about relationship leverage. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, let's take a client that's got $250,000 in eight different banks. Okay. Well, how much service does he get from those eight banks? $250,000 worth. Right. Yep. What if all the money was in one bank? Well, what kind of service would he be getting in terms of like – Two million bucks or whatever it is. You know, the the people he'd be like, oh my gosh, this is one of our prized VIP clients. Like we got to make sure that we're giving them the top level service, right? He could come say, Sean, I'm concerned about this. Okay, well, let me tell you how I'm going to alleviate that in a five-minute conversation. Yeah. And you don't need to be at eight different banks. That's right. And when you need to wire money, you have to go to eight different websites. Right. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, that's true too. That's true too. It's – But I – you know, I do – I do try to share that with people because you know we're we're in business here, right? So yeah, the bigger client you are, the more um, you know the bank's going to jump when you the, the more you know. attention you get. Yeah, like, I mean you get noticed. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to get into some like products. So I wanted to ask you more deeper. So what is your guys like like you know what is your bread and butter? Like what is, what is it that you guys are just like ridiculously good at your bank for anybody? We are listening? we are ridiculously good and better than everybody at people that have large balances that do a lot of transactions. So ACH credits and debits, wire transfers, um, any way that they're moving money, Mm -hmm. lots of checks coming in. And the reason that we're so good at that is because of the niche in the escrow business. We have to be good at high volume. So we learned it there. And then we just go into other industries, 1031 Exchange, all these different companies that need that. So we also – have a competitive advantage on pricing. 
our bank's model has a real profit center in auto lending, which is not related to what I do, but we just have a huge – we deal with 3,000 dealerships across the country. And so we always have a very high demand for deposits. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we've created all of these systems so that people who have big deposits can save time and money when they bank with us. So it's almost like a loss leader. Yeah. So if you're a big depositor in a bank, like you should let me look at that because – Chances are I'm going to be you know, winning the business in terms of how hungry we are for it. Yeah. And it's not a balance sheet thing. It's not like we're starving for deposits. It's just like we can use them. Because for all the listeners out there that don't know, banks take depositors' money, and then they can go out and lend that money, and that's where their margin is. Well, what, is the, what is the ratio on that, just so we know? Like if you get – if I put a million dollars in your bank, what, are you, what, is, what can you lend on? It's more complicated than just a, a, there's like a government ratio of yeah. one sixth or something. Yeah. But it's really managing the balance sheet and okay. the asset classes. So I okay. can't really answer it as it's black and white. Is, yeah, it's yeah. not as straightforward. But you can, if I put a million in, you can definitely lend more than a million out to. Yeah, them. you okay. can. Yeah, okay. you okay. can. And that's why a lot of smaller banks require a depository relationship to do. That's lending. a great question. And in your business, you run into that all the time. Yes. So let's think about it from what we just said, that context of finance and balance sheet. But let's flip it over to the emotion. If you have a loan with a bank but no deposit relationship at all, yeah, what's your relationship with the bank? And then when the bank's like, hey, we need updated financials. Hey, we need you to do this. It's kind of like you're not as reactive. So right. the banks like that emotional buy-in when you're actually banking there because then when they need to get – maybe work out a loan with you, maybe your, your yeah. company's not doing a well, the property's not performing, yep. Yep. There's, there's like traction there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's I like never, good business practice. Yeah. I never really thought about it before because we don't always push it. Like the lenders that I work with don't always push it because they, a lot of them are somewhat transactional, but they definitely try to write it in and everybody kind of shies away from it unless they're already with them. But, but I've, I've grown up as a, a relationship banker, so I'm always requiring the deposits. But that's why I like working with you because you have resources where the banks will just do a transactional loan. And sometimes yeah. that's what my clients need. Exactly. Yeah, they don't need the relationship. No, they need the lowest commodity, lowest rate, best terms in the market. Because it's just a loan. It's not a relationship. Right, yeah. right. So what are you – like what does the conversation look like when you have a potential – client that you're like somebody comes to meet with you to see you know if there's any benefit to working with you or bringing money over to your bank like what does that conversation look like initially for you with that client yeah i think the clients want to start that conversation with how much money they need to borrow or what problems they're having with the bank and then i quickly shift it to what's your exit strategy what's your vision like where are you going to be Mm -hmm. in three years what obstacles you know and so i start trying to get to where are they going as a way to get more data so that I can give them better advice, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to, you know, if you walk into a Chinese restaurant, the entire menu is in Chinese. You can't read it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't just go in there and tell them what you want because you don't can't know what the, the options are, yeah. Yeah. right? And so what I try to do is just get as much data as I can so that I can then explain the menu, right? What do you like? What are the- so that's kind of the way that I approach it. But Crystal, I think what you're also asking is like what – how do entrepreneurs need to be prepared to go talk about that what too, they're trying sure. to get, yeah. right? No, like what should you be asking? Like if you're going to move to a bank from a big bank, small bank to another small bank, what questions should a customer that gets to spend an hour with you, half an hour, what should they be asking you? What should they bring to the table? What should that conversation like but look like? Also, mostly? yeah, like what kind of documentation do they need to bring so that you can properly – guide them or advise them on what you can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. So they, the question that they'd really need to ask is like, who's making the loan? If we're doing a loan, like who's making the decision? Like, where are you in the chain? Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause if you're dealing with a loan salesperson and they have to check with another manager and then that manager has to go to the credit department to the junior credit person and then the senior credit person has to sign off on the junior credit person's work. And then the credit administrator administrator finds out about the deal at the end on the approval, but except it didn't start out right. So now it's you're 60 days into it and, and it's you're declined. you're five, six people deep, yeah. Right. So they need to be asking kind of what the process is and who the decision makers are and how short that chain is. Yeah. And yours is pretty short. I report to the chief lending officer of the bank as my boss. So yeah. it's pretty short. And, and you have access, I'm sure, to your CEO if needed or close to it. 
Yes, and I can't. Yeah, I. <laughs> you know really, what I mean? Like no, but I just had a really cool story where that was actually just happened. Where um, I was frustrated, and he just signed off, and we just did a deal. But that you know, yeah, that's important. Yeah, and I can tell you, if you're at Wells Fargo, you're probably not going to be talking. Not be able to get a, like decisions and things like that, or these big banks like boom, it just right. uh, they right. can't they can't yeah. operate like that. So asking what that is, and then also asking like once they're in the bank, like what's the day to day? Like who's going to be taking care of us? And if this goes wrong, who mm-hmm. do I call? You know, and you just kind of you just kind of need to know what it's going to look like. But gosh, at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like a bank's a bank's a bank. It's all relationships. Like hire the person that you trust and that you like. I have clients that have been with me at four different banks. Yeah. I mean, because you're you're the bank. That's the value for them. Yeah, Yeah. they don't care the bank. They just care. Oh, you're moving. I'm moving. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Like we don't really too much care about where our money is necessarily. Like it doesn't really matter because, like you said, most of us are not going into a branch anyway. So you're Mm -hmm. doing remote deposits. Mm -hmm. I'm sending wires like online and ACHs or whatever. And so really, you call your banker when you have a problem, and then that's when we really need that relationship. Is when. You need help with something usually. Yeah. And yeah. it's like when you need it, you need it. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not I'll call you back next week. It's like right. I need it right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's get into some specific product talk, you know, because um, I feel like I talk to business owners and entrepreneurs that just don't even understand lending or banking and they don't even know that they – maybe they have some money in the bank and they can actually just go talk to somebody like you and get a loan and grow their business. They just don't understand it at all yeah. because they're at a big bank. Nobody's ever said – they don't call you up and go, hey, John, come on in. Let's talk about how we can – they just don't do that. So my question is, is let's say somebody has a business. They've got a couple hundred grand in the bank, they're, but they have a lot of potential upside. I mean is – you know what's some of the criteria if you can talk about it just like in general? I know it's like hard because every client can be specific, mm-hmm. but – you know, whether it doesn't matter the business, if it's like the lady I was talking about when you came in here, it's like people are just, what can they expect? Can somebody come in that just has a business that's making money and has a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank and their credit's pretty good? They don't have anything going on. Can they come in and say, hey, I need a fifty or $100,000 line of credit because I can scale my business and let me show you how? Is that something like, nope, that's never going to happen. That's unreasonable. Is that like a reasonable request, you know? Oh, yeah, it's certainly reasonable. And I think that, you know, also what you're asking is the entrepreneur is like what metrics do they need to pay attention to yeah. to qualify for the line of credit that they want to get to grow their business, right? Exactly. First metric is always profitability. Okay. You can't go in and talk to a banker and say, hey, well, we're super profitable. Like, we make tons of money. It just doesn't show up on our financials. <laughs> I love it. People do say You're that like, a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there are circumstances where, like, I'm working with a company right now. They just went through a rebrand. They spent a ton of money on marketing. They just moved. I mean, they spent $300,000 last year on stuff that they will not spend next year. So, you can so that's a non-recurring okay, a one, expense, and okay. I could, as a one-off, add yeah, that back. Okay, okay. But that's the exception, not the rule. Okay. So, profitability. You have to have run a profitable business if you want a bank loan, period. Okay. Like Everybody, be profitable. Yeah. Um, the second thing is the balance sheet. I think that most entrepreneurs are trained to run their business on their profit and loss. You know, how much revenue do we have? What's our gross profit? What's our net profit? Expense control, all that stuff. But the balance sheet is one of the most important things for any business if they're trying to get money from a bank, if they're trying to sell um, if they're trying to weather a financial storm, so assets over liabilities, current assets over current liabilities, equity, retained earnings, all of these things are sometimes foreign concepts to entrepreneurs that are moving fast. They have a vision. They're killing it. They're making a bunch of money. A banker can come in and just do a quick 101 on the balance sheet, show them where the weak spots are, where the strengths are, and that's hugely valuable because – if now we, you can focus on it. If we have a recession or if we have any kind of a dip in the next, like, let's say four years from now, there's a dip. And you've talked to your banker about that four years ahead of time and you've built a stronger balance sheet. It's the same thing as building a stronger hull on your ship. So somebody that doesn't know what the hell a balance sheet is, because maybe somebody's like, yeah. what is a balance sheet? Can right. you just explain, like, 
is, is that like me saying, hey, I go into the doctor for my yearly checkup? Oh, this and, is a great question. You know, like, That's super people, smart. We think they – we always go, we know what it is. But some people are like, what the hell is a balance sheet or what is a personal financial statement? You know, They don't understand these things. That's quite a great question. So an income statement or also known as a profit and loss is a period of time. So let's say January 1st, 2018 to December 31st, 2018. That's your annual revenue, profit, expenses, everything. A balance sheet is different in that it's a, it's a, a particular point in time. It's just on that date, okay? So it's the static strength of a business. And the makeup of it is your assets and your liabilities. So it's like, you know, assets are your cash, your accounts receivable, your inventory, your equipment. But when you look at those, you want to drill down to what do they really mean? Cash and accounts receivable are sort of liquid assets, right? You can mm-hmm. turn those into cash very quickly. Inventory, maybe not so much. And then liabilities, <coughs> loans. Mm-hmm. Well, if I look at a balance sheet that has decent assets, but there's credit card bills, there's a line of credit with two different banks, there's a term loan from the time that something went wrong, and then they owe a whole bunch of private investors, and this kind of this, this story starts stacking up, right? And, and it turns out that there's more liabilities than assets, I mean, what would that mean to you if you saw a company that had more debt than they had assets? That, they'd be they're, upside they're, down, right? Yeah, yeah, they're in trouble. So it would look like they were in trouble. Even if they were able to make enough money to keep it going, it's like they're just on really thin ice. And so the balance sheet shows you how thick that ice is underneath whatever they're skating on. And it's great to just open up the conversation because if I was a business owner, I'd want to learn more about how a bank looked at my balance sheet. It'd just make me stronger. Yeah. yeah. And so when people come talk to you and see you, it's – the worst thing to do is not tell you everything. It's like oh, I'm going to just bullshit them because you're if, – if they bullshit you and they give you everything, eventually it's just like anything. You're going to find out. That's true. You're just yeah. wasting time. So yeah. just tell you what's going on. Like you said, I can say, look, here's the roadmap. Come back in three months, six months if you're going to have that and we can talk. If they don't, you're going to go through the process and you're going to yeah. learn the same and answer. And so this is great advice that you're giving to all these entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Like – like I said before, you, I'm going to invest my time in this entrepreneur. So any banker they talk to is investing their time. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you get caught in a lie or you just hid something, now how much time am I going to invest in? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just human nature. So I have clients that have come and said, hey, man, we lost a ton of money last year. Like, it's going to be hard to write me a loan, but this is what we're doing this year. This is our plan. This, this is my is balance goal. sheet. Yeah. And this is where we're headed. When do you think I'll be able to qualify? And then I can start from that because yeah. they're being honest about the fact that they know that there's you – know, That's the conversation. There's a bruise on the face of the company because of last year was like a bad year. Yeah. Or we had to spend or this happened and it was – and you go, oh, it's a one-time thing. Like you said, just be open, honest. And yeah. It's easier to get yeah. Solution. And it's just back to relationships, right? What's um, – so if somebody – I'm trying to think like if, if somebody – you know, a lot – I think a lot of people – they don't realize they just put money in a business bank account and it just sits there mm-hmm. and they never even bother to think like, what do you think just somebody that might be a mom pop owner, they could own, you know, they could own just a little company. I don't know what it is. What's a, what's a little company? No, just think of some, somebody that's 30 years old. They started a company. It's been going for five years, you know, on their, on their tax return shows, they make a hundred grand a year. They well, let's even say bank. like a small management company or something. Like, okay. I mean, you're running, you know, different people's like rents through your system. Is that what you're getting at? No, like, I'm talking more. That's not, pretty not, niche. Not, let's not, talk yeah. about a hat company that makes hats. Yeah. There you go. They're, they're really they're, good. They make a lot of hats. And they, they make, they're making money. But the guy's like so was so busy the last five years making hats. I didn't have time. I just throw my money into this bank, and all of a sudden he's like, "Got I got an opportunity. I need to get bigger." But he doesn't know how. How does like that guy doesn't know anything. Like how do you, what is the first step of that mm-hmm. guy needs to take to say, like, he's like, but man, I got all my HCH is set up. I've never done this. I never moved banks. I've been here 10 years. It was my dad's best friend. And then he died. You know, this whole thing, he's so scared to move because he's like, it's going to be all this work. Like you understand. I'm yeah. thinking a guy that's does it, that's had success, but just doesn't understand anything about banking. He's scared. How do you get the first step to actually move this guy over where he's going to see the benefit? And like, how much work can you take off his plate? And the last thing I want you to answer is the account that you talked about is 
if they're having an account where there's like, hey, I'm paying all these expenses and fees, how do you say, wow, you got all these deposits. I can actually, you can make money having an account here or I can pay for all this stuff. Can you explain like how that works with banking that people might understand that they can actually bank with you, put deposits in, and wait a minute, I make money or I get you pay for stuff? How's that? Yeah, absolutely. So the two questions there, the first one is the entrepreneur that's so busy but they've stacked up a lot of cash in the bank and they're not at the optimal bank but they're still doing wearing all the hats and they're just working 16 hours a day and there's just never going to be time to change banks. I might meet with them and we might decide that it's a terrible idea for them to change banks because they don't have time to do it. Yeah. And for all the young entrepreneurs out there, if you haven't read The E-Myth, read The E-Myth. I love that book. She just read it. I just read it. So that entrepreneur, when they graduate to – they're doing all the roles and they're defining all the roles. When they start hiring people mm-hmm. to do some of the roles, then maybe they'll have a little bit more bandwidth to make a bank change. And maybe that's the goal. Maybe the goal is to hire somebody to start taking some stuff off the plate. And that's the kind of advice that I'll go in and give. I don't have to sell the banking. Like that will just come later. So that's for that hat maker okay. that we just talked about. Okay. Um, and then the – what was the second part of the – I think we we're going towards analysis accounts. Yes, yes. analysis accounts. Okay, if so you really just for the general public, the way business banking accounts work is if you've got a small business and you stay under, say, 250 of this kind of transaction a month, um, you fit into the minimums of the small business basic checking. So everything's free. And as long as you don't go over the minimums, everything's free. Unless you want to send a wire transfer, then it's $35 or whatever. Yeah. So everybody's kind of used to free banking. Yeah. But when your business grows and you start going over those limits, banking starts to be expensive because there's fees associated with everything. So you go from no fees to now we're paying $300 a month for our banking fees because the bank's doing a lot of stuff. And up, right? Then we keep growing and now our banking fees are $600 and now they're 1000 And then Kenny goes, hey, you need to talk to Sean. You shouldn't be paying the bank $1,000 a month yeah. because you should be in an analyzed account where the bank looks at your average balances and they say, hey, we're going to reward you for these. We're going to give you – an interest rate on those, and we're going to use those to offset the fees that you're paying. And if you're a really good customer with really big deposits in your certain industries, maybe we'll get even more fancy. Like an escrow. And share, and, and maybe we'll share some of that with you, but only in certain circumstances. Yeah. But the point is, um, it's not uncommon for me to look at clients that have one, two, five, ten million dollars in the bank um, to have a $10,000 to $50,000 and even $100,000 swing in annual fees in the bank. Okay, so when I come in and I put my pricing and my fee structure on their account and I just gave them $100,000 a year, that's real money. That's that's worth the CEO slowing down and going, okay, what's going on here? Wow. Yeah. Man, that much? That's Mm -hmm. crazy. I just didn't – I mean, that's insane. So you look at it and you're just like, holy – but that's what you're great at. Big yeah. deposits, big balances. You yep. can smo- You can really yes. do some damage. Yes. The Ferrari. I mean I know I referred you one person. I don't know if they became a client. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's grow. Um, and I know that I talked to that person. But yeah, I mean you were beating where they were at. But it just was a function of can I move because it is a lot of work and you know. Yeah. But, in but, particular, some of the industries I sell into, um, I might talk to them for three or four years oh, before, yeah, for sure. it, before is a, it happens. Because it really has to be – For know, both you and him. If mm-hmm. you get it, it's great, but it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a big relationship. It's not a switch just for tomorrow. But when like, they oh, switch, just, they're yeah, staying yeah. with you for <laughs> – yeah. this isn't they're going to move in six months. Yeah. But. I just brought a client well over $10 million in deposits, and we've been talking and working together for three years. And it just, just came in last month. Awesome. That's you know, it just, just how it works. Um. What do you do you do? I'm just trying to think like because you're banking and you're, you know, obviously your our, our thing is, is for our side is more like somebody buying real estate investment properties, you know, and, you know, Crystal, you can do some whatever on user stuff, but we help people more with the investment and the real estate side. You're helping more people with their business side. So we're looking kind of at stuff completely different because we are because looking at a business and looking mm-hmm. at a property is two different things. Yeah. Um, is there anything? For somebody that has a small business that is trying to – they're getting the cat company where he's like starting to get out of the role of working on their – working in their business, start working on it where I mm-hmm. need to start meeting more people and networking and things like that. But starting to 
to grow my business and becoming smarter. Is there any, Chris and I are thinking about today, do you have any networking groups or anything where people can start to, that you might be a part of where they can venture out and start, yeah. maybe a banking or not, but it's like go out where they can start meeting other business owners and starting to help them grow and stuff like that. Yeah, I and yes, that's a great question. And what I find is that entrepreneurs that try to work in a cave in a silo without talking to other entrepreneurs um, can get stuck on easy things that other entrepreneurs have done before. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just human beings. We're wired to be in community. So um, they ought to look at EO, San Diego. It stands for Entrepreneurs Organization. There's 168 members. You have to be a million in revenue to be a member. But they also have an accelerator program for sub $1 million companies that are growing to a million. And so that is an amazing place for any business owner to be. Um, they get paired with other owners, and then they get into groups, and they meet once a month, and it's, it's super dynamic. There's another one called Sage. Um, I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah, so Sage is similar. There are 140 members. Some of the companies are a little bit bigger. Um, those forums are run a little bit differently. But those are two, I'd say, just to, to look at. They both have great websites and easy. So EO San Diego and Sage, S-A-G-E. Do you help your do you help clients like just outside of banking? Because um, I know you have some really strong relationships with people. I know you're just you're... one of my clients just called me two days ago and he said, Sean, I've been spending so much time building the enterprise value of my company. We're doing really well, but I haven't been taking care of my personal financial statement. You know, I want to invest in real estate. I want to start doing some things over here. What should I do? And I said, well, why don't we go have a beer, and I'll bring one of my friends that's one of the most successful real estate investors that I know that walks the talk, and let's just sit down and have a beer, and you ask him that question, see what he says. Cool. We sat there for 90 minutes. Oh, my God. I learned so much. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm glad I didn't give him advice, and I let somebody that actually walked the talk. But that's just an example of, yes, I help. When, when you're my client or you're my friend, you get access to my network. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I think that's a big thing is um, – we were talking about with the guest before Salvatore is that Crystal and I have been head down in our business and we really did minimal networking. I mean, we talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're like, I mean, we've seen each other more in the last couple of years than before. You're like, where everybody's like, where's, where's Waldo? Where's Kenny? Yeah. Like, we never get a lunch. But it was like, because we were just head down. We we're so busy. <laughs> it was crazy. We got rid of the manager company and now we're able to do these things we envisioned and we're doing them and you're seeing them and you're a part of them, which is great. And, like the event we had, and that's what I loved is I got so much feedback from people at the event saying, man, the networking. And that's why I said, did people – and we invited other people, but did you guys understand the people in the room and the dynamics and I'm sure the relationships and bonds or what's business going to happen from that meeting? And that's why we're going to continue to do them. But that's one thing is I look at you and I'm like, you know, Sean, Sean – there's other bankers too, but Sean's not just a banker. He can be your friend, but also – when you want to maybe do something else mm -hmm. outside of your business, invest yep. in real estate, or maybe you wanted to go travel somewhere, or maybe you wanted to, you know, start a podcast or do so or something different. You have such a dynamic group of friends where you're like, Hey, let me get you this. Or your son wants to yep. be an attorney and you're like, Hey, you know what? I got a friend that's a top. Yep. This is, it's, it's not just about the banking. It's about what else you can bring value to the client that can help improve their life or something else. And that seems like with you, as a banker that I know you, that's something that, you know. Thanks. And let me tell you what's underneath that. The start of your podcast, one of the things says, we know our why. You guys say that, right? Yep. Yes. My why is community. Okay. Building community, connecting people, building a future reputation for my kids, um, making sure that I have integrity with my last name in San Diego. I mean, building community is everything for me, and that's what gets me out of bed, and I get me excited. And so I don't always make money building community, but um, that's what makes me happy. And, you know, what was so cool about your event was there were people in the room that I had been meaning to introduce to each other that had never met. And I was able to just do it in person, that's which was awesome. so magical. That's cool. You know, it's like, wow, this is working. Yeah. One of our when Cameron and I started at one of his things was like, man, we we're talking we're like everybody just goes to these events and they just talk to the same damn people. Yeah. The and people they know, and, and yeah. that's what Cameron was like. When I'm there, I'm like, I was like, somebody's like, hey, I need this. And I remember like Rob um, was like, hey, I might, I'm building. I go, hey, Rami, come over here. Let me meet you, Rob. He's yeah. not, no, he's not a contract to hire, but you're in Golden Hill. He's in Golden Hill. If you have questions, call us here. Rami's like, no problem. Rami is the developer. He mm -hmm. met four people like, man, I'm going to pick that guy's brain. 
And that's the thing is if those people didn't show up there and spend the time that night, the couple hours, that guy could help them out just like you said. So it was really cool that people were like, I'm like, no, let me go introduce you now. I'm not going to say you guys will call like link now. Get each other's numbers now. Absolutely, like, yeah. And I think the more Crystal and I do this stuff with the podcast and meet people and the community, I can't agree with you more. Like you, your, your net worth is your network. Yeah, totally. And that's really what it is. And um, we can all learn from each other. And, um, and we talk about on. how it's not always like a profitable thing trying to build a community, but it's like, like I tell people all the time is it's, it's a long game. It's not like, Hey, I put these two people together now. Like, where's my check? It's yeah. kind of like, okay, at some point we're all collaborating and good things can only come from that. You know? So I think building that community is again, not about like that instant gratification. It's more that like long-term thinking that, mm-hmm things do come full circle and like you said when the time is right the opportunity comes your way and you're top of mind and people think like hey sean connected me with that person and you know what like i really need him for this or that thing you know and they they remember how you put them together or how you helped them out so and you know what's really cool is if you just stay focused on building community like then nothing can get in your way i've had experiences where i've connected people they've made money together and then they completely forgot i connected them and then they yeah. went and worked with somebody else or they, I got cut out of the deal. or Yeah, that happens too. You know, and when I was a younger banker, it really hurt me. Yeah. But now that I'm older, I'm like, you know what? It's okay. I yeah. just keep doing the right things for the right reason. It'll all come around. Yes. And I don't get like kind of buried in that like tit for tat. Yeah, 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 I agree. Because – you just keep putting good stuff out there, and our friend Cameron's probably a yes, best example. Yes, and good example. stuff comes back. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's funny because we do have a really good, I feel like, networking group of people. Cameron's got, like, that mindset, obviously. Mm-hmm. You have that mindset, so it's really cool. And we even, just Kenny and I, feel really kind of blessed and lucky to have such a great group of people that we're surrounded with, and we love to share that with other people too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's nothing better than when we refer each other and, you know, whether you could do the deal or not do the deal sometimes, but they're like, wow, that person's such a cool person to talk to, amazing person. Yeah. They weren't able to help me, but they, they refer me on to somebody else. They and, went above and beyond. But we had a great conversation, and I learned something else. And that's what it's cool is that we're all have each other's backs, and I think that's, like, super important in business. And I think, you know, this is about business banking, but it comes down to this is really about business and community. Right. And I think you're as good as who's on your team and your team doesn't have to just exist in your office. Your team could be an attorney. You know, it could be a CPA, it could be a banker, it could be your broker, it could be your lender, it could be all these things. And the more I study successful, super successful people is because they have all that, you know. One thing I wanted to share with all of your listeners and all the hustlers out there, salespeople, entrepreneurs, um, you know, if you're out there, you're everyone's in sales. I don't care what your job is. Yep. Like yeah, we're everyone's in sales. Yep. And there's a difference between listening for what will fit into the framework of your company or your bank. You know, if I'm just constantly listening for only what's going to fit in my bank and I'm just pushing everything out, that's very bank centric. That's like me centric. That's my company centric. If you're listening for what is possible using all of your experience and all of your contacts, that's client-centric. So everything that you do, if you're constantly listening to the person on the other side of the table and putting it into the framework of all your community, all your contacts, all the experience that you have, and you're trying to bring them a result, you know that's a true advisor. That's a true friend. Mm-hmm. That's a true value add. Like you guys have the value add podcast. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you add value. And I think that um, any salesperson, any anybody, any hustler out there, if you can use that framework, you can just like 10x your success. That's I agree. A, that's a, yeah. That's a I good. I mean, basically, you're coming from the standpoint of helping people versus helping yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is hard. I mean, we're yeah. human beings. We're wired to be like protect ourselves, to be, you know, secure and take care of ourselves. But And we naturally are like geared towards 
talking about ourselves. I mean, we listen to a lot of different people's podcasts and stuff, and it's so true because sometimes <laughs> you get stuck thinking about yourself, and you're like, oh, wait a second. I'm supposed to be thinking about other people. So yeah. even with the podcast, like what do people want to hear? And for you as a banker, not like what's good for my bank, but like is this a good fit for that person? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not a good fit, at least I can say it now, but they might know somebody else who might be a great fit for me, or maybe they can you know, point me in the right direction, or I can point them in the right direction. So I completely agree, and it's, again, making those connections with different people too through, you know, whether or not you can or cannot help them. If you can't help them, great. If not, who else are they connected to that you might be able to help? Mm-hmm. So, um, Well, Sean, thanks for coming on. Um, appreciate the time. Where can, um, where can people reach you? And then what part of San Diego are you located? I'm sure you can move – you know, you're always moving around and meeting people. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. But I, I live in Point Loma. My office is in UTC. Um, they can reach me at 858-210-8254 or Sean, S-E-A-N underscore Puckett, P-U-C-K-E-T-T, at mechanicsbank.com. Um, or you can just Google me, Sean Puckett. Yeah, Yeah. and we'll include all of your contact info and the notes as well too so people can contact you but um oh right on thank you so much i feel like we can at least help some people with their business banking Mm -hmm. and hopefully can connect you to some people that you can help so yeah and thank you guys for shining your light on the world i think the world desperately needs community and needs the stuff that you're doing and you guys are walking the talk so thank you cool and i think hopefully the one thing to take away is guys you can call a guy like Sean, go meet with him. If you're not sure, let him sit down, analyze your stuff. And if it's not a fit for him, he can at least put a little plan in place to get you on the right path and get you going. And um, a lot of people need that. So I appreciate the time. Right on, guys. Cool. Thanks. 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 Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.